in your Bible this morning, first place that we'll read together is from the ninth psalm. We are studying the doctrinal statement of the Bible Baptist Church, the beliefs that bind us together as a local assembly, a local congregation, and we don't believe these things because the pastor believes these things. We don't believe these things because... Baptists believe these things. We believe these things because they are found in the Word of God. And uh, I, I would encourage you, and I don't feel like that's quite, um, quite a strong enough word, challenge you, it's really not even strong enough, it would behoove you to make sure that you know what you believe and why you believe it. And so that's why we're studying these things from the Bible together, you can expect that your beliefs are going to be challenged and you need to you need to be resolved, committed. You need to make up your mind as to as to what you really believe. And this topic is is one that you can certainly expect to be challenged and be questioned and for doubt to be uh, brought upon. Uh, we're talking this morning about the reality of hell. The reality of hell. Bible facts. On hell, many points, many scriptures. Not sure how far we'll get with this this morning, but, but but from our doctrinal statement, the statement is this: We believe all men rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ will spend eternity in the conscious torment of a literal lake of fire, while those receiving the Lord Jesus Christ will spend eternity in the glorious presence of God. So there is such a thing as the afterlife. Everyone is going to die, and after this, the Bible says the judgment, and the soul will live on forever in one of two places. There are only two options according to Jesus, and according to the Bible, it's heaven or it's hell. And the only thing that makes the difference between the two is what a sinner chooses to do with Jesus Christ. But both are real. Heaven is real and hell is real. And people die and if they're saved, they go to heaven. And people die and if they're not saved, if they have not trusted Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it very clear that they go to hell. And so a weighty topic this morning and a heavy topic this morning, but an important topic. And let's pray one more time, ask the Lord to Help us as we study the, the, the Bible. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it declares. And Lord, I pray that we would not just list a set of facts from your word that we believe this morning, but that our belief would truly affect our behavior. And Lord, that we would be motivated to witness. God, that we would be motivated to pray for the loss. God, that we would be motivated to seek to make a difference in the eternity of others due to the reality of a place called hell. Help us to believe your word this morning. Help us to trust your word this morning. Help us to act upon your word. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to follow along with the outline on the back of your bulletin. Fill in the blanks as we go, hell is mentioned 54 times in the Word of God. That word itself, the word hell, occurs 54 times in the Bible. What is not mentioned in the Bible 
is Hades, zero times. Sheol, zero times. Gehenna, zero times. Purgatory, zero times. Those concepts are not found in the Word of God, but hell is, is mentioned 54 times. Now, this is really interesting. Of the 54 mentions, 31 are found in the Old Testament, and that means 23 are found in the New Testament. Why do I mention that? I'm, this is not just an Old Testament doctrine. Hell is not just a place that the mean God in the Old Testament would send people to. In fact, when you consider the relative size of the Old Testament versus the New Testament, the Old Testament 39 books, the New Testament 27 books, many of the Old Testament books longer than New Testament books, when you consider the relative size, hell plays much more prominently in the New Testament than it does the Old. Though it's mentioned more times in the Old Testament, it's mentioned more frequently in the New Testament. Let me, let me give you this. Of the 54 times that hell is mentioned in the Word of God, 15 times hell is expressly mentioned by Jesus Christ. That means one of every four times that the word hell is used in the Bible, it's coming from the lips of Jesus when he was on the earth. You've probably heard preachers say that Christ spoke of hell more than he did of heaven. I checked it out. It's true. I, I, I ran the references and compared the numbers, and Jesus spoke about hell between eight and nine times more than he did heaven. Jesus mentioned hell eight or nine times more than he mentioned heaven. Now, his reason for doing so is absolutely clear. He didn't want people to go. That was the whole purpose of his coming, so that man could be saved from his sin and not spend eternity separated from God with the devil and his angels. That was prepared for them. It was never prepared for man. So if, if, if the reason Jesus came was to make a payment for sin that would deliver men from the flames of hell, you can't say that Jesus spoke about hell just because he liked to scare people or he spoke about hell just because he was some sort of, you know, hellfire, damnation, brimstone preacher. It, 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 it was from a heart of love that was concerned for people who were going there and he didn't want it to happen. And anybody who follows Jesus Christ will follow the same pattern. We don't, we don't talk about hell because we like to be countercultural. We, we, we might like to be countercultural, but that's not why we talk about hell. We don't talk about hell because we like offending people. Talk about hell because it's real. Talk about hell because people are there right now. Talk about hell because it's something to be avoided. We talk about hell to try to deliver people from going. So let me go ahead and give you the points this morning just in case we don't make it through all this. Then we'll start working through the scriptures. Point number one, hell is real. Simple enough. Hell is real. Point number two, Hell is scary. It is to be feared. Hell is real. Hell is scary. Number three, hell is eternal. Hell is eternal. 
Number four, we'll explain this. Hell is inevitable. I-N-E-V-I-T-A-B-L-E, in case you need help with the spelling. Hell is inevitable. Number five, hell is graded. We'll explain what that means. Probably not the best word, but the only one I can come up with. Hell is graded. Number six, hell is avoidable. Hell is avoidable. And then number seven, hell is expanding. Hell is expanding. Okay, let's start with the verses. Psalm 9, in verse number 17, the Bible says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. So hell is real. The only way hell isn't real is if the Bible isn't true. And the Bible is true. The only way that hell isn't real is if Jesus Christ was a liar and I wouldn't want to be the one who accuses Jesus Christ of being a liar the day that I stand before him. Jesus Christ spoke the truth. He said hell exists. The Bible is the word of God. Everything it says is right. And the Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell. Now, maybe you don't like that. Maybe you think that's not fair. Maybe you think that's not right, but you can take it up with the Lord who wrote the book. It's not for us to decide. And, 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 and I'm not saying there is no logic, there is no reason, there is no rationale. There is, but ultimately, it is what it is. You can go to hell without believing in it. People do it every day. The fact that you don't think it's fair really doesn't have any bearing on the reality of its existence. The wicked shall be turned into hell. Luke chapter number 12. Get the next reference. Luke chapter 12. This one of Christ's sermons that he preached on hell. Luke chapter 12, though maybe not the most well-known. Luke chapter 12. We'll look at that one in just a minute. Luke 12, verse number 1. Luke 12, verse number 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people. Looked like Lakewood Church on a Sunday morning. That's Houston, Texas, Pastor Joel Osteen. An innumerable, that, that's, that's the kind of crowd that Jesus had here in Luke 12. So what's he going to do? Tell them how every day can be a Friday? <laughs> what's he going to do? Tell them how to have their best life now? <laughs> what's he going to do? He's going to speak the truth. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. He starts talking about the judgment of God with a huge crowd of people. Verse 4. It continues, and I say to you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. 
Can you imagine Joel preaching that in his church on a Sunday morning? Guys, you better fear God because he's sending you to hell if you don't trust him, if you don't repent, if you don't get right. That's what Jesus said. Why did he say that? Because here's all these people who are going to hell. And they're not afraid of it. And they need to be. Because it is scary. Was Jesus just trying to scare people? Absolutely he was trying to scare people. I don't think you should try to scare people. Well, you're dumb. You're wrong. Jesus said this for the express purpose of scaring them because fear sometimes is healthy. Right? Now, here's the problem. Because in the context of our society, fear is used so manipulatively. The news media tells lies to get you afraid of things that you don't really need to be afraid of or that you can't really affect one way or the other. But people live in fear and and, and that fear controls their lives. That's not the situation here. This is not something that's made up. This is something that is real. And this isn't something that people have no effect over. You have a choice that will determine your eternal destiny. Jesus is not manipulating. Jesus is motivating with the truth of the reality of a place called hell. Now, here's what fear does. Fear is a natural instinct that will help you avoid danger. You know what I would love to do? I would love to get up on the roof this morning and get a running jump and see how, a running start and see how far I could jump. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. Is anybody else with me? Owen, I know you're with me. Emma, Isvan, AJ, appreciate you guys. Araya's like, eh. So, I mean, like, that sounds like a lot of fun to get a running start and jump off the roof and just, like, see what it feels like. That would be awesome. Well, see, but, but there's the thing, right? I have a fear of what would happen when I hit the ground. Because it would be fun up until that point, right? Now, the reason that I have not and will not, so long as I am in my right mind, <laughs> right-ish mind, <laughs> Get up on the top of the roof of the church and get a running start and jump off. There is fear which causes me to avoid that which is hurtful. And that's just one silly illustration. We can use so many others. But if hell is real, and it is, and if it's what the Bible says, and it is, and it's an eternal place of conscious torment and in and, and, and fire and in agony, then then you ought to be afraid of that. People ought to be afraid of that. And that fear should motivate them to avoid it. To do anything it takes not to go to that place. And Jesus Jesus said, this is a correct approach. Right? I don't know about you. The reason I got saved is because one day I realized I was going to hell and I didn't want to go. If you're saved this morning, I would imagine that probably had a lot to do with the reason why 
you got saved. Now, since I got saved, I've grown to love the Lord. I've grown to love the Bible. I've realized the Christian life is great. I'm looking forward to heaven. None of those things were the primary factor in my decision to trust Jesus Christ. I didn't want to go to hell. And if you're here this morning and you've not been saved, I've got to tell you the truth. You're going to go to hell. God doesn't intend for you to. You don't have to. But if you don't trust in Christ, you don't repent, believe the gospel, that's what's going to happen. There should be some fear that leads to self-preservation, that leads to a decision to, to submit to the Lord and call out to Jesus Christ. It's scary. Luke chapter 16. Here's the most famous sermon that Christ preached on hell, and it's not a parable. Whenever Jesus told a parable, the Bible always expressly states, He spake a parable unto them. This is not a parable. It's a real story. This is an illustration. If it were a parable, what would be the lesson? <laughs> right? A story about a guy who goes to hell and he's in flame. What, what's the lesson behind that if it's not real? I mean, the lesson's the same whether you call it a parable or a real story. It is a real story. Luke 16, verse number 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fell with the crumbs which fell at the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, verses 19 through 21, not a person here would prefer to be Lazarus. We'd all, we'd all rather be the guy in the house eating the nice meal dressed in purple than the guy outside the gate with dogs licking his source. Nobody would rather be Lazarus than the rich man. Until verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell. He lift up his eyes being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. Lazarus didn't go to Abraham's bosom in paradise because he was poor. Uh, one of them knew the forgiveness of sins and one of them didn't. And it could be that the rich man's riches blinded his eyes to the importance of that which was eternal. But whatever the case might be, he died, he went to hell, Lazarus died, he went to paradise, he went to Abraham's bosom. That's beyond the scope of our study this morning, but one was comforted and one was tormented. Flame, anguish, crying out for one drop of water. Listen, hell's not a joke. It's not somewhere that people go and party with their friends. It's not somewhere that people go and hang out with the devil. It is a place of judgment. It is a place of destruction. It is a place of isolation. It is a place of darkness. It is a place of physical pain and emotional pain and mental anguish. That rich man who was in hell in Luke 16, he's still there this morning. He's still crying out this morning. He's still 
burning this morning. He's still in pain this morning, 2,000 years later. It's real. It's scary. 2 Samuel 22, 6, don't turn there, says the sorrows of hell. Psalm 116, verse number 3, talks about the pains of hell. And here's the thing, it doesn't stop. Because point number three is, hell's eternal. Verse 25 again, but Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime, receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus receive things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. That now is still in effect. That now is still taking place. That now in Luke 16 is still now this morning. Mark 9, 43 and 45, don't turn, talks about the fire that shall never be quenched. Revelation 14, 11 says, The smoke of torment ascendeth up forever and ever. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 says that they are punished with everlasting destruction. Hebrews 6, verse 2, speaks of eternal judgment. Matthew 25, 41, speaks of everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. See, this is not purgatory. Purgatory is not found in the Bible. Purgatory, you go for a while, you burn, you get out. Until your family pays the priest enough to say enough prayers and light enough candles so that you can be released. That, that, that's not in the Bible. This is not temporary. It's forever. If a person ever ends up in hell, it will be too late. There is no chance of escape other than in this life. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11. Deal briefly with the technicality. You said hell is eternal. Let me, let me explain to you how that is. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne. Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So... So at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, those who are dead and those who are in hell come and they stand before God. They are judged according to their works. Their works prove their condemnation. The, 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 the angels check the book of life. Is this person's name there? If their name is not in the book of life, then they, they are cast in the lake of fire. So Hell and the lake of fire. Hell is a temporary holding place until judgment. And the lake of fire is the eternal abode of those who are condemned. It's, it works similarly in our justice system. If you were to commit a crime and get caught and get arrested, you would go to jail. Jail is not where you serve your sentence. Jail is where you are held until you have a trial then if you are found guilty at trial and sentence, you will be sent to prison to pay your sentence, right? 
So jail is a temporary holding place until you're tried, and then prison is where you serve your sentence. Hell is the temporary holding place until the judgment day, and then the lake of fire is where you'll spend eternity. But the fire, the torment, the anguish, the pain, the separation from God, it's eternal. What do I mean by hell is inevitable? That was point number four. Come to Luke 13. Luke 13. I'll explain it as you turn, then we'll read the verses. I remember when I was a kid, my mom would always pass out gospel tracts. She always had these just, you know, paper folded tracts. We got fancy postcards now, nice chick tracts now. But she had these just, you know, print them for less than a cent. But she'd always give them to people. And there was one, man, I was so embarrassed when she would give it to people, but she was doing the right thing. And on the front, it just had a picture of hell. And it said, what do you have to do to go to hell? What do you have to do to go to hell? Because here's a lot of people. You try to witness to them, hey, uh, we're going to spend eternity. You die, you go to heaven, hell. And well, I never killed anybody. Like, that's what you have to do to go to hell. <laughs> I never robbed a bank. Like, that's what you do to have to go to hell. So this tract, on the front it said, what do you have to do to go to hell? You open it up, it said, nothing. Seems kind of weird, but it's true. Luke 13, verse number 1. There were present at that, some, at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said to them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Something, something horrible. There's a terrible tragedy in the headlines. And Jesus said, Hey, hey did you guys hear about what happened? Now, most people think, oh, something bad happened to somebody. Then they had it coming. It's karma. They must have done something wrong. They must have been really bad. That's not true. Karma is not real. Sowing and reaping is real. Karma is not real. Karma means if you do something good, then you'll get something good. And if you do something bad, you'll get something bad. Well, listen, sin is in operation in the world. Anyway, different topic, different time. So, verse number three, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus said, this didn't happen to those guys because they were horrible sinners, but I'm telling you, you better repent before something happens to you and you go to hell. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, that's horrible. That's a bad way to die. For a tower to fall on you and crush you and send you in eternity? Jesus said, you hear about that? Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. It's not that you do have to do something to get to hell, it's that you've got to do something to get out of hell. We, we all deserve to be separated from God. We have all separated ourselves from God because all have sinned. Because the wages of sin is death. Because there's not a just man on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So hell is inevitable in that if you don't do something about it, that's where you're going to go. Next verse. Uh, Deuteronomy 32. Let's, let's turn to that one. Quickly, Deuteronomy 32. Hell is graded. What do we mean by hell is graded? Deuteronomy 32, 
the Bible indicates there are degrees of hell. Deuteronomy 32.22 For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. The lowest hell, meaning there are some areas of hell that are lower than others. That seems to be what is indicated. Psalm 86 Verse 13, thou hast delivered my soul, David said, from the lowest hell. In James 3, 1, the Bible speaks of greater damnation or greater condemnation. And so it seems that hell will be even worse for some than for others. I don't have all the answers uh, as to that, um, maybe it has something to do with how often somebody rejected the gospel. Maybe it has something to do with Revelation 20, judged according to their works. I can imagine Hitler being in the lowest hell. But I, w- I would tell you this, doesn't matter which degree it is, none of it, all of it is to be avoided. None of it is to be experienced. Hell is avoidable. Let's go there. Mark chapter 9, another famous sermon that Christ preached on hell is in Mark chapter 9. What's the verse about greater damnation? Uh, James 3 verse 1. Mark 9 verse 43. Mark 9 43, the Bible says this. And if I hand offend thee, Cut it off. That's pretty extreme. That would be kind of gruesome. That would take a lot of effort. A lot of resolve. And if I had offended, they cut it off. What is Jesus saying? It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Jesus is making comparison. Cutting off your own hand would be way better than not cutting off your hand, but going to hell. That's what he's saying. Into the fire, where the worm dieth not, verse 44, the fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Same thing. If that's what it took, that's that's not what it takes. That is not the plan of salvation. You don't get to go to heaven if you cut your hand off. You don't get to go to heaven if you cut your foot off. Just saying, Jesus is saying, if that's what it took, it would be worth it. Because it would be way better to be crippled or to be maimed than to go to hell. Verse 47, and if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. And I remember hearing about Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and other, other warriors throughout history that would do that to their enemies and their prisoners. You remember that in history class? I don't know about you, I would always get kind of sick feeling in my stomach just imagining that. Somebody taking an instrument and digging it into your eye and scooping out your eyeball. That is horrible. But that's nothing compared to a moment in hell. 
Jesus said, it'd be better for you to take your finger or a spoon or a knife or whatever you got and just gouge out your own eye than it would be to go to hell. Why is he saying this? It's not just shock value. He's trying to communicate truth. He's trying to say, whatever it takes to get out of hell is worth it. Here's the great news. It doesn't take gouging out your eye. It doesn't take cutting off your hand or your foot. It takes believing the gospel, trusting in Jesus Christ. Okay, So it is avoidable and it is to be avoided. Back up in the previous chapter, verse 36 of chapter 8, Mark 8. 36, the Bible says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There is nothing worth going to hell for. Nothing worth it at all. Matthew 25, 41 says that that God created hell for the devil and his angels. He did not create it for you, for me, for, for, for any man, woman. Boy and girl, there is no reason anybody has to go. Revelation 1.18 says Jesus has the keys of death and hell. He can let you, he can, he can deliver you. If you get in, you're not getting out, but you never have to go get in. Jesus Christ is the way of escape. And then hell's expanding. Hell is expanding. Let me just show you one of these. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 14. We're quickly running out of time. This is kind of where, where I wanted to focus. Isaiah, get Isaiah 5 and then Luke 16. Isaiah 5, verse 14. Hell is expanding. While you turn, Proverbs 27, 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Isaiah 5, 14 says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. They're running out of room. It's over capacity. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself. Statistics say that 150,000 people die every day, about two every second. And the majority of them don't know Jesus Christ, which means the majority of them go to hell. It's filling up. It's filling up. It's expanding. It's getting larger. It's getting more full. Luke chapter number 16. Hopefully this morning, you're already saved. If not, hopefully this morning you'll get saved. But what are we supposed to do with these Bible facts and Bible truths on hell? Back to Luke 16. We'll pick up the narrative. The rich man and Lazarus. But Abraham said, verse 25, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Now I just read that quickly, but slow down, stop, think about that. Okay, so at this time, hell, we know from the book of Isaiah, that's in the heart of the earth. Paradise, Abraham's bosom, also located at this time in the heart of the earth. One a place of torment, one a place of comfort. But between the two, there's a great gulf. And it does not say so that they which would pass from hell to Abraham's bosom couldn't. That's not what it says first. It says so that they which would pass from hence, that's from Abraham's bosom, to you, that's hell, cannot. 
the indication being the people who were in Abraham's bosom, if they could get to hell to try to rescue people, they would. The only thing that prevented them was this great gulf. Now think about that this morning. These, these people in Abraham's bosom before Christ down on the cross and led captivity captive and paradise is caught up in heaven, when they're in the heart of the earth, if they could get to the people in hell, if, if they could try to rescue them, they would make any attempt possible. It just wasn't possible. In the same way that this life is the only opportunity anybody has to avoid hell, this life is the only opportunity any of us have to help others escape it. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Who knew that's lost? They're lost. They're going to hell. And the only chance you have to affect that, to make a difference now while you and they are still alive um, out of the Knox farm they had that fire the barn where Miss Lillian kept her puppies horrible thing 1.30 in the middle of the night hear all these barks all this noise all this commotion run out the barn's on fire three of those dogs had been um, shut in so they couldn't get out because if they could they would and they'd be chasing deers through the woods all night and biting rattlesnakes and all kinds of different things so they were confined and the fire started and they couldn't get out and Miss Lillian loves those dogs and she runs out and the barn's on fire and she's trying to cut the wires she's trying to do anything she could so the dogs but, but she can't that's a horrible thing. And it's caused her a good deal of emotional grief, and understandably so. And those are dogs. They're dogs. They don't have a soul. They don't live forever. What about people who have a soul that lives forever? And once they go to hell, there's no getting out. So what are you doing to try to deliver people? Well, they get offended if I witness to them. So what? It's uncomfortable to try to talk to them about eternity. So what? If we really believed in hell, like the Bible says, then we'd be very motivated to witness, tell others about Christ, and try to rescue people from going to that horrible place. I'm thankful that I'm not, but I don't want to be selfish about it. Right, So, Bible facts on hell, and there's a whole lot more, but it, re it really ought to motivate us. It really ought to uh, cause us to be sober and try to, try to witness to people. God help us with that. Father.